Are you ready? <laughs> no, I need one. <laughs> Rolling, take one. Is it going to be all right? Hello, and welcome to All Through a Lens. This is the podcast about film photography where we discuss a little more than just film photography. I'm Vanya. And I'm Eric. On today's episode, we're talking a bit about action photography, something I know basically nothing about. Fortunately, Vanya is here and we'll be calling up a roller derby photographer to block all the jammers. That's a derby reference. We'll also check the answering machine and rattle off a few zine reviews. But first, I gotta ask, Vanya, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I got in the water, uh, went swimming. Got drilled nice. into the sand. <laughs> okay, so it was uh, it was big today, like they say. Yeah, it was. It was a lot bigger. Finally, we got some waves. So I'm hoping to be shooting a lot more in the water. How about you? How are you doing? Well, I'm doing okay. Uh, overall, it's been a uh, kind of week. But, uh, <laughs> well, um, I think we, I need to talk about something. So I've mentioned the Nez Pierce project on the podcast before a little mm-hmm. bit. And there has been kind of a horribly depressing development. So last year, I got it in my head to photograph the Nez Pierce Trail that runs from Oregon to Montana. This wasn't a road like Route 66 or Oregon Trail, but the route taken by the Nez Pierce tribe in 1877. It's a long and it's a complicated story, but Basically, a few bands of the tribe wished to remain on their ancestral lands rather than move to a reservation. The United States had a different plan and threw the might of the army against them. The Nez Pierce, nearly 800 strong, though only 250 of them or so were warriors. They fought a slow retreat against four different United States commanders and about 1,500 troops. The route took them from northeastern Oregon through central Idaho and into Wyoming, through Yellowstone, and up through Montana to nearly the Canadian border. Uh, this was the route that I followed this past July. Yeah, I remember because I met you in Yellowstone when you were on your shooting project. That's- yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was neat kind of bringing you in to, to shoot a few things with me. I, I really dug that. Yeah, I just recently saw one of the pictures that I was there for, and it's kind of exciting to see them. Yeah, the Yellowstone pictures that I took were kind of, well, I'll get into that in a second. So over, <laughs> overall, my, my idea was that I wanted to shoot around 80 four by fives of various sites along the trail for an eventual book that would include text by Yellow Wolf. He was a, a young warrior who later spoke a, a bunch about the fighting. Um, so taking the photos was amazing. It was an honor, really. And it was much more difficult than a lot of the regular like roadside locations that I usually shoot. For some of the photos, I hiked miles and miles for a shot. And others, I spent like an entire day driving these these incredibly shitty roads just to get to a single location where I got like a couple of shots. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it was worth it. The scenery was amazing. The history is, is what I want. And that whole experience was fucking amazing. How did you find the site? Well, yeah, okay, the site's... The sites I got to from a book called Following the Nez Pierce Trail. Uh, it's one of those detailed tour books where, I mean, it really brings you like to the exact spot where these things happened. And so a lot of the, a lot of the sites were on private land. So you yeah, got as close as you could get. And a lot of them were on public. There's a lot of public land out there. So, you know, it was usually really rugged. And I definitely needed a book to help me because this isn't stuff that's marked. You don't go to a 
you generally you don't go to a, like a Nez Pierce park and then there's a monument to Nez Pierce guy who did Nez Pierce things. You kind of just have to go to a, a a field or a canyon and just kind of know like, oh, this matches the description of what Yellow Wolf was saying. So I guess this is the place. So I finished the whole shooting part of the project. I finished that in about two weeks and I shot 80 photos. I hit several battlefields and all, all these sites. I mean, it was really really an intense experience. Uh, I learned so much about the Nez Pierce War, but just about travel and shooting. And it was the most 4x5 I ever shot at once. And it was, you know, 80 shots. How many holders do you have? I have an embarrassing amount of holders. Oh, uh, I got I got all my holders before holders became expensive. <laughs> yeah. People were, just, people were just giving them to me when I first got into 4x5. It's like, do you want these? Like, yeah, I'll fucking take them. Uh, but okay, all of the photos were taken. I wanted to have a, a universal look. So all of the photos were taken with Cat Labs 4x5 film. So what is Cat Labs? Tell me about it, because I don't have any of their film. Uh, Cat Labs is a newer-ish company. I think they started out doing, and they still do, like, refurbishing and reselling cameras. They have a lot of them up there, and they're decent prices. They're fair. They're a real fair for a company. Mm-hmm. They also, which I think is really cool, and it was a selling point for me, is they give 10% off to women. Oh, cool. And that's kind of cool. I'm, I'm, I'm really appreciative of that. But, well, I saw their film, and I really loved the look of it. It's, it's kind of like a weird, perfect mix between like a Tri-X sort of film and a T-Max sort of film, where it's grainy, but not like chunky grain. Uh, I liked it. It, had, it has an older type of look to it. It just, it really matched the project that I was doing. So I shot everything and I returned home and I started to develop my photos and it was bad. It was really bad. The photos had this, I called it modeling, kind of a blotchiness all over the sky. And it looked a lot like thin clouds, but there, there definitely weren't clouds. I've seen this before. I've, I've shoot, I shoot a lot of old film. I shoot a lot of like really old film. And so I've seen it before on Ilford HP3. It was from the 1960s. That's how old it is. <laughs> and some on some old Sfema film from the 1980s, which is old, really old. But I had never seen this on a new film before. So did you do anything differently with the Cat Labs photos? Did you have it stored in your car, like, you know, in the hot sun? (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't do anything differently with it. I used the same workflow that I've used for years. When I received the film from Cat Labs in the mail, it went right into my fridge and it stayed there right until I was ready to leave for the trip. And then I loaded 40-ish sheets into 20-ish holders. And when I packed the car, all the film went into a 12-volt cooler that kept things relatively cool, maybe around 50. 50 degrees Fahrenheit. So it wasn't in the hot sun. Uh, No, the film was never for long periods of time in the hot sun. While traveling and shooting at the start of each day, I'd take out the holders I'd need for the day and keep them in the car to acclimate them to the outside temps to avoid condensation for the most part. After shooting, the exposed holders went back into the cooler. Twice during the trip, I reloaded the holders, and apart from some funky dust from some funky dusty areas, it didn't seem to affect anything at all. So then when I got home, I put everything from that cooler into the fridge. So all the exposed film went into the fridge. And then when ready to develop, I took out the film sheets and let them acclimate to the room temp. And then I developed. So far, I've developed around 50 sheets. I still haven't gotten through everything because of, you know, there's, there's, almost all of them are bad. And it's an incredibly depressing process at this point, just going through, just developing photos that you know you can't use, that you know are bad. Yeah, it's really sad. <laughs> uh, The book idea is, at this point, canceled. I really wouldn't even post most of these photos, let alone make them into a book. No. Wait, so fully canceled? Or do you think you'll 
maybe reshoot or come back in next year or the following year? Well, the, the problem with this is, you know, I traveled. You said two weeks, right? I said, yeah, two weeks of my life, 1,500, probably even more miles. I wasn't keeping track, but a lot of miles. So it's not something that I can like nip out to the, <laughs> you know, to the, to the street and do some reshoots. That's just not how it works. That said, um, pretty much every place that I went to, I fell in love with. Like just fell in love with where I'm, I'm, I miss it. I miss these places. And I want to go back to these places. Uh, the one place I've been missing in particular is the Imnaha Valley in northeastern Oregon. And I've posted a little bit about it on my Instagram if you want to check that out. But I, I just I fell in love with that area and I really want to go back there. So going back means that I can do some reshoots. So I don't think the book is fully canceled. And I don't want to even want to say like, well, maybe someday. Like, I think I'm planning on doing it again. So you're just not going to release the book until you, I, I mean, are you going to reshoot again every single thing you're going to keep? Because I've seen some of your photos and they're really good. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> out of the 50 of them, about 40 of them are unusable. And about 10 of them are really nice. And that's a tribute to the film because the film really makes, the film is really nice looking film. So I think I'm probably going to reshoot everything for consistency, but I'm not going to do it in the same way. I won't I won't be able to do it chronologically in the order that the war happened. I'm probably going to break it up into three different legs. It's it's going to be a different experience and it's going to be kind of like, you know, nipping in to get the photo and then getting the hell out. Though some of these places it's going to take me all day to get to again because that's just how it works. So, yeah, I'm excited and sad all at the same time. <laughs> so, we have sad Eric today. Oh, no. Oh, no, sad Eric. <laughs> are you going to shoot cat labs again, or are you going to shoot something else? <laughs> well, no, I will not be shooting cat labs. Um, I will probably use a combination of FP4 and HP5. Oh, my gosh, maybe... your favorite, HP5. <laughs> I have no problem with HP5. Uh, they both have a pretty traditional look, and they both behave roughly the same. Um, I like FP4 in Rodinol, which takes a, a little bit longer to develop, but the grain is kind of chunky, which I do like in 4x5. Uh, the contrast can be a bit punchy without losing the shadows or highlights. It's not as forgiving as HP5, which is a really forgiving and very, very easy, super easy film to use. <laughs> Stop so I understand it. why people use this easy film. <laughs> but I'm looking into shooting FP4 like a stop slower. Okay. So like like pulling it a little mm, bit. Wow. That's um, so you don't you don't do that usually. Nope. No, I do not. You don't push or pull. Nope. None of those. Also, maybe you should test it a little bit before you leave. Well, okay. I did email Cat Labs, yes. of course. And I showed them uh, about a half dozen sample photos, the good ones and the bad ones. Okay. And they said, between a few experts and manufacturer, we suspect that the fault is most likely in storage or transportation of the film. I understand that this film was handled alongside others at the same time, which did not exhibit this issue. Uh, they said a, a, a few other things as well, but that's kind of the crux of their explanation. So their explanation is that... It's your fault. Well, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> not quite um it was how i stored it and how i transported it okay but 
that's how I did with all the other film, including some like really old stuff. I was shooting Kodak Royal Pan from 1968, did not exhibit these symptoms. So it is probably a combination of how it was handled and the film itself, though every other emulsion that I've ever used has been fine. Hmm. So it's kind of the film. And because of that, they did offer me to send me, I guess, three boxes of new 4x5 film. Oh, sweet. That was the offer. And I did agree to the offer, hopefully. And if I get it, I will shoot it. I like the film. I like the look of it. So I recommend uh, getting Cat Lab film if you're not traveling. Do not travel with this stuff. But do definitely shoot it and definitely support the company. So all in all, you've been doing okay. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. All right, it's time to check our answering machine. The question that we asked listeners was, when it comes to action and sports photography, what have we lost in the switch over from film to digital? Hello, no one is available to take your call. Please leave a message after the tone. That's a tough question, and the first thing that comes to mind is how I got asked to leave the bar last Halloween for taking photos with a film camera, which... Everyone's taking photos uh, with their cell phones, but the film camera is large, it's in your face, and more than that, the film itself is absurdly permanent for the digital age, and there's no prior restraint. You can't show people what's on there, they can't decide if they like it or not, and you can't either. Uh, But what's more interesting to me is what film has gained in the switch to digital, and I often say that it's now a lot more free to be an art as opposed to uh, a money buy-in to uh, a profession in which you ultimately have to be making money before you can even afford to buy the camera. It, it, it makes very little sense, but now you can perform this action as an art. And the more people understand the limitations that the camera creates, the more I think they'll begin to appreciate the difficulty of manual focus, darkroom prints. It's such a hard question. It's just not... I mean, I understand where he's what he was saying and he he did he had some positive things to say with the switchover i like the idea of being able to show your photography as art i think it's it is in a lot of ways and then also it is just a picture and i really like that it's not completely an instant satisfaction i like that I have to kind of work for it, develop and scan to see my image. I think, yeah, I think if with, even with sports photography, we look at a, a picture now of, I don't know, some sport, and it's taken with film. We, we look at it a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, even like with, this is, this is weird, it's sort of a tangent, but even with like the impeachment trial that's happening right now when, when we're recording this, there was a fellow there who took a few shots with a four by five. Yeah, I think everybody saw that. <laughs> Yeah, every, every definitely saw, but I saw one of the photos today. Oh, cool! And it's it's neat. It's it looks great. It's amazing. Except people are now saying like, "Well, this is this is art." And what I hope it does, and, and they're right. They're not, and I'm not I'm not disparaging him. Um, but what I hope it causes people to do is maybe look at some of the older photos that were kind of just in newspapers and just press photos, and maybe see them in a different light. So maybe the switch over to digital can at least get us to appreciate what we used to have rather than appreciating the film photos that are being shot now. Hello, Jonas from Umeå here. 
aka Coleman Thorn. Uh, I'm don't know what to call about uh, this time, but I'm stoked. I, I will be building a 4x5 camera and it's finally coming together. I uh, just this evening sprayed the inside black and uh, I'm gonna try some film that was made for an uh, electro transmission microscope things uh, so I'm gonna try that out I think it's orthofilm or something it'll be a blast so yeah I'll keep you posted and keep up the good work ciao god I always love when he calls in I know <laughs> Uh, okay, and the film, and it was it was a little difficult to understand. So I, I I actually contacted him and asked him what the hell he was talking about with the film. And the film he was talking about was stuff made for electron microscopes. What is the film called that he said? Um, he sent me a few examples, and one of them is called well, Fuji Electron Microscopic Film. In terms of what we have lost. I would say that we have not lost anything in the transition from film to digital where action and sports is concerned. In my particular case, anyway, it enabled a project because it was affordable to do it, uh, digital that is, that would not have been possible in film. So there's that. And secondly, it was impractical on this 18-month road trip I was on to be able to even get a hold of film, let alone process it. So again... That's something you get with digital that you don't get any other way. And I also was shooting in all kinds of ISO conditions because I was outdoors the entire time. So being able to switch from low ISO to high ISO within a very short interval, which was necessary, was critically important for me. And that's it. Being able to be open to shoot what is necessary for certain situations is important for all of us. I mean, I recently shot someone a couple days ago, and there were pregnancy photos. And as much as I would want to just shoot them in film, I know that, you know, she had two kids running around, and I felt it was more necessary for me to shoot it in digital. So yeah, I think I think you're right. I I'm definitely not a purist. I don't personally own a, a digital camera but i just don't give a shit if somebody shoots digital because they want to shoot digital this buy film not megapixels and i god i just can't bring myself to care about it it does not matter well we want film to be available and affordable it is what it is but if people want to shoot digital who fucking cares yeah of course yes is the honorable chester cadaver sure understanding today's complex world of the future is a little like having bees live in your head but there they are. And like the young lady said, I said live it or live with it. What does this mean? Well, for the straight poop, let's go where I go every morning. Centrally located and barely a scrone's throw from the tomb of the unregistered voter, downstairs in the historic old grid building. So I guess we should probably answer this for ourselves. Vanya, you shoot action photography, kind of a sports photographer. Um, what do you think? What have, what have you gained or lost in the transition from digital to film? It seemed, I don't know, but it seems like maybe 20, 30 years ago, it was a lot harder to become a photographer. But now with so many options to be seen and show your work, I think a lot of people um, have gained from that. Uh, sure. That being said, I think that 
obviously learning settings and um, not relying on Photoshop is important. Um, I really have a hard time with heavily edited photos. And so like HDR. <laughs> oh God. Yes, exactly. The the auto tune of yeah, photography. Yeah, it's just awful. <laughs> so yeah. I'm an asshole. No, it's fine. But like, you know, even just like the overly retouched stuff, it's just you know, I just want to see a nice picture. It doesn't have to like fucking sparkle. I'm sorry. <laughs> I would say that there's really no consequence to shooting digital. You can shoot as many photos as possible to get the one shot. So when I'm, you know, just for instance, when I'm surfing or if I'm swimming and I'm shooting, I'm really savoring every single photo that I have. I'm not just shooting off. I'm really trying to focus on the exact time that I need to take that picture. And I like that. I like being able to slow down and really think about my shot. I'm not saying now that sounds rude. Like people are not thinking of course they're thinking of the shot, but it's not like I can just like hold down the button and I'm just like, you know, shooting like a ton. Right. I have to be a little bit more patient. Is that an asshole like answer? A little, (laughs) I can edit around that. Okay. I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to like, no, no, it's fine. Asshole. Okay. So Eric, I really want to hear your answer. When I was a kid, I was really, really into the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I'd wake up on Saturday mornings and I would watch NFL Films. It was a, a TV show that would show like Super Bowls. It would replay Super Bowls. And of course, in the 80s, everything was video. But when I saw these shortened, edited versions of these Super Bowls, they looked different. There was something almost theatrical about them, the way they looked. They looked like movies. And so yeah, later I figured out that every and every NFL game was actually filmed on film, 16 millimeter film, for decades and decades and decades, up until kind of recently. They had their own lab. They would actually develop for, uh, I think, student photographers, or student filmmakers and stuff. They were, it was kind of a, a cool thing. It's gone now. But that look really captured a, something in our history that video can't capture. And I think film and digital is the same, digital photography, still photography is the same way. We lost something special as a default. Roller derby had its start in the 1920s as an endurance rally where women skated until they couldn't while men placed bets on them. Uh, There were teams and leagues all owned by men, including one sponsored by Al Capone. Over the decades, it's morphed from an endurance contest to a game with actual rules. But like most sports today, the athletes worked for wealthy men. Through the 80s and 90s, it became theatrical, almost like professional wrestling. Roller derby in its current form is about 15 years old. It was started by a group of women who wanted to skate derby but brought with them a DIY ethic. They created the Women's Flat Track Derby Association out of basically nothing, and it quickly expanded. In a few short years, there were well over 100 leagues throughout the United States and Canada. 
Now there are over 2,000 leagues. The WFTDA is by far the largest organization, boasting over 450 member leagues on six continents. Each league has multiple teams and often includes juniors and even men's teams. Everyone involved is a volunteer. I got into Derby in 2012. I'm a rare breed in the Derby community. I'm a fan without any real connection to a skater. I just love the sport. Uh, the, the WFTDA is probably the most inclusive and revolutionary sports organization out there. It strives for diversity, and uh, though it's a woman's uh, flat track derby association by name, the organization itself promotes and defends all transgender women, intersex women, and gender-expansive participants. Uh, the same is true for socioeconomic status, sexuality, race, ethnicity, ability, culture, language, uh, basically anything you can't help being that too large a portion of the population is kind of shitty about. We're giving you all this background for two reasons. One, because roller derby is fucking awesome. And two, because we're about to call Karen, a roller derby film photographer who just put out a zine full of derby pics. Let's give Karen a call. Hello? Hi, Karen. Hello. <laughs> hey, this is Vanya and Eric from All Through a Lens. We were just talking about roller derby, and we thought we'd give you a call because you are a roller derby photographer. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Can we ask you a couple of questions then? Yeah, sure. Yeah, the first question we asked our listeners to call in. We didn't really get that many answers, but I want to ask you and see if you have something more to add. Um, it's <laughs> what we have lost when it comes to action photography in the switch over from film to digital. So for me, I think digital is just this really perfect crisp representation of the game. And there's loads and loads of photographers that are doing this and they're getting like these amazing action shots. And I always feel like there's a lot of pressure for me to kind of match that. Um, but with film, it's really, really difficult to do that um, for me, especially. So I have to kind of try and remember to just capture what happens as I'm there and seeing the excitement and just the madness of the bout in the photographs rather than trying to capture like this perfect crystal clear picture. So, OK, you're a roller derby photographer. How did you get into that part of derby? So it's really just because uh, when we moved to Bristol about three years ago, Colleen started doing roller derby in the local team. And I obviously always have enjoyed doing photography and I'm always looking for stuff to take pictures of. I went along to like one of her first games and took a bunch of film cameras with me, um, tried to take pictures from the audience, which was a bit of a fail. Um, and then I saw that there was loads and loads of these photographers walking around and I was like, I should try and do this. So I, I basically just said to the guys that she skates with, can I take pictures? And they let me in. And then that's kind of how I got started, really. So you're not just like a, a derby widow then? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was either join or become a widow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever forget you have your film camera and you like look at it? You're like, oh, no, this isn't my digital. <laughs> yeah, all the time, even though I'm like, right, this is my film camera. I've got to set it up like this. And then I always look at the back and then I pretend that I'm looking at the film <laughs> in the window. I'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's definitely Ilford. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, no one, if someone in the crowd saw me looking at the back of my camera, they wouldn't go, oh, my God, she just looked at her film camera. What an idiot. 
So what are the things that attract you to the roller derby community? Um, well, I think they're like they're super welcoming and they're really supportive of everything. A lot like the film community in that way, actually. Like mm-hmm. I find that the film film community is really welcoming and supportive all the time. Like everyone's always willing to kind of be like, oh, hey, uh, we want you to do this. So that's like obviously a really nice way to get in. Um, but they're also a really extremely like diverse bunch of people. Um, there's like loads of different age groups in there. Um, you can kind of just be yourself. Uh, I don't have to worry about people asking me about my boyfriend or my husband, um, True. you know, because they don't just assume. So that's nice. It's just super relaxed and everyone's nice to each other. Yeah, it sounds amazing. And also for them letting you walk around and do pictures and it's not like, oh, it's a boys club or anything like that. You could just go down there and be part of it. Yeah. And I, I work in the cycling industry and it's the complete opposite. So it is, it's, it's really nice to be involved in a sport that isn't just a big boys club. Mm-hmm. So you re- recently made a bit of a shift to film when shooting Derby. Um, how are you adjusting? Well, so the last last weekend I shot a lot of film, probably the most film that I've ever shot at a Derby match, mm-hmm. and I haven't finished actually developing it yet. It's kind of in the early stages still, but the stuff that I have had developed um, from like a couple of months ago that's in my zine, obviously, mm-hmm. um, I was really happy with that stuff. And it's really only because I did the digital stuff in between going back to film that I kind of, I grew to understand the sport a bit better and I knew which angles I could get, like where the players were going to be. So that's really helped. And I'm going to do more and more film shooting. There aren't a lot of like film derby photographers. No, there isn't. Um, Everyone that I've met shoots digital. So yeah, it is nice to have like a bit of a niche. Yeah, I kind of, I can kind of relate with, you know, surf photography, everybody shoots digital. So it's really fun to just do something a little different and have my own, have my own thing, you know? So yeah, I like that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So question about your film choices, which film do you like the best for action? And then is there anything in particular that you choose to shoot? So I would say because it's low light, I pretty much just choose whatever is fastest I've tried like quite a lot of just doing 400 speed film (laughs) and it can be done, but it's just harder. So recently I've been trying to shoot anything that's basically 1600 or above. I had some Fuji film 600 that was a bit expired, but I shot it at 1600 anyway. And that was actually probably some of the clearest pictures that I've had because shooting at 400 is just, it's really, really hard unless you're amazing at panning or you know exactly (laughs) where someone's going to land. Like, I really, really struggle. But it's nice to kind of mix it up. I tend to try and mix it up a little bit every time anyway, just so that I've got a nice mixture. And also, you never know what's going to come out on the film afterwards anyway. Um, and I've been recently, uh, last weekend, I shot some Ilford Delta and Kodak T-Max, um, but I pushed it to 6400. So wow. kind of waiting to see what they come out at, like. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah that's maybe. really exciting. <laughs> Definitely have to share those ones. Yeah, no, I will be, definitely. I shot uh, six rolls. Oh, nice. So, wow. yeah, I got, like, a lot. So there's got to be some <laughs> decent ones in there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> the odds are in your favor, for sure. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> 
So you uh, you just put out a zine. Yeah. Just like really recently. Yeah. Called "Filling the Time with Roller Derby." It's issue one. Um, we both really fucking dig it. Yeah. Uh, it just it's very much just it's derby love and yeah. It just it's everything I love about roller derby, and just it's one little one little package. And I I love it. Um, so when you were when you were shooting. The, the shots do you have like a zine in mind or you just you get the shots and figure the zine later um so with that one um i kind of so it was uh, this tournament called the chartist cup um and i basically went there to take pictures of the tournament and i took my digital camera but i also took two of my film cameras um and it wasn't really that I had particular things in mind for the zine. I just thought if some of this comes out, it would be awesome because I can put it in a zine. Because in that instance, I did actually shoot with um, some black and white 400 speed, some color 400 speed and the 1600 speed Fujifilm. So I was kind of like, if this 400 speed stuff comes out, then that would be awesome. And fortunately it did. I think the venue that we were at wasn't really, really, really dark. So it wasn't so bad. Um, so yeah, I didn't really have like a particular thing in mind for it. I just wanted to, I was kind of just hoping that it would come out and I'd be able to use it. Yeah. When you, uh, are you, are you planning another zine? Another derby zine? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I called it issue Good. one, so I have to. Yeah. You do have to. It is. You have no choice. Yep. But yeah, I thought, um, when I do like uh, I did two charity games on the weekend there was like one on Saturday one on Sunday um, the one on Saturday was a sevens tournament so they were really really quick I think it was like six games in one day wow. um, so I was thinking every time I do a tournament at least I can do like a little zine as kind of a memorabilia type thing of that game yeah so I love it what has been the reaction of the skaters when they see your film shots and your zine I'm wondering you know if you've showed anybody yet is uh is it different reaction than you know than your digital shots a little bit I would say so we were talking about it earlier and like a lot of skaters they kind of just they want to see pictures of themselves doing like amazing things or just a funny picture. So whether or not it's digital or film, they don't necessarily always know. But I have had a lot of people buying the zine from the actual game just because they were in it. So they wanted to buy it. And um, so that's really good. Um, and because I did it at like tiered pricing, so they could give me as much money as they wanted. So some people have given me more than like the basic amount, which is amazing. It's been really nice to have that support from people. There was also um, a couple of people that do actually do photography and they were really interested in the fact that I shoot it with film as well. Yeah, yeah. that is yeah. cool. And now you can buy some more film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been put into like a film fund. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, perfect. And speaking of like a bunch of film, we saw your story, obviously. You, you know, recently tied the knot and your honeymoon looked amazing. <laughs> yeah. And it looked like you shot a bunch of film. Should we be expecting a zine full of European shots, maybe? Or Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I haven't developed any of that yet. I'm kind of, I'm putting it off a little bit because on the one hand, um, I want to save it. 
Um, on the other hand, I'm worried that I'm going to mess all of it up when I develop it at home because that's always a worry. So I think I'm going to wait till Christmas when I've got like a good amount of time to develop it. And then, yeah, I'll see what I've got. And I'm really looking forward to kind of reliving the honeymoon through the pictures. Mm-hmm. And I definitely will put some stuff into a zine because oh, I, I would like to print off some stuff for us to keep anyway as a like as a memory. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I think there's going to be enough in there for me to do like a little book as well. Okay, I guess that brings us to the final question, which is the question for listeners uh, the next episode. So since we discussed my large uh, failure, mm-hmm. yeah. but what's, the biggest, what's, what's your biggest photography failure? And more importantly, how have you overcome it? Um, so it's kind of a hard question because I feel like I've probably made quite a lot of fails. Um, but actually, a couple of days ago, I was developing my recent roller derby pictures. Um, and I've never pushed anything to 6400 um, before. And I've also never developed pushing film before. So mm. I did it how I normally do um, in this monobath uh, developer that I've got. Um, hung it up and then I thought that film looks kind of thick like it hasn't cleared properly so then I went on the internet to look at what film looks like if it hasn't cleared properly and I was like maybe I should just dip it back in the developer for a bit maybe that will be all right so I like snipped off the end so I could do a test and I was like oh yeah that that actually does look like it works so I did that um was happy with the results kind of like rinsed it off a little bit and then left it to dry and it was really late at night so I just wanted to go to bed and then when I came back down in the morning it had like really harsh watermarks all over it and I was like oh no and then um <laughs> I kind of like snipped it up into its like little six bits um looked at it more on my little light box thing and then saw that actually also there's loads of dried developer on it like there's loads of little yellow splodges and also on the back it's like got really really hard water marks on some parts of it so that was a massive fail and I'm basically never going to do that again (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah if if my film hasn't developed I'm I'm definitely not going to just give it a quick rinse with water after I put developer back on it again because that was obviously a massive mistake um but at the time I was like it'll be fine it's not fine so um yeah that's sad but yeah that's kind of like triggered me to also buy um developer that isn't a monobath so that I can do like every single stage Mm -hmm. rather than um yeah, just relying on one bit and especially for pushed film as well because the developer that I've got, it it has a little chart on the back that says um, normal development and then this much for pushed film. And the, the amount that I'd need to push it for just has um, some little lines, like as if you're not actually supposed to do it that much. <laughs> I don't think it's actually as, I don't think it's good enough to push that hard and seeing as I'm going to be doing that a lot with roller derby I, I probably need to invest in some other developer so yeah that's yeah. that's how I'm overcoming that failure I'm not going to do that again <laughs> okay all right well thank you so much we really appreciate you yeah. thanks thank you both <laughs> it's been really good okay thank you so much yeah, we will you. talk to you soon yeah. bye, have Karen. a nice day you too you too bye-bye bye <laughs>
Surfing is such a big part of my daily routine. I get up, I make coffee, I get my daughter ready, pack up my van with tons of surfboards and cameras, hopefully a dry wetsuit, drop off Marley at school and go check the waves. I think initially I just wanted to document the moments I was experiencing at the beach. Because I'm a photographer, it just seemed like the next step was to take a camera in the water. So I started looking at water housings for my digital camera, and it's just not affordable. And honestly, that's not the kind of photographer that I am anyways. I enjoy the limitations and the slower process that film provides me. If you take me to a big box store and tell me to pick out a shampoo, I will sit in the aisle for 20 minutes and stare. I cannot <laughs> make up my mind. Wait, are we, wait, are we talking about hygiene now? Yes, we are, always. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I like pine tar soap, personally. That is such a weird... Why would you... Really? Yeah, I really like pine tar soap. I think I Wait, have are we, some. Are we really talking about this? I mean, you can... Why don't you... Well, no, let's just go back to what you're talking okay, about. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Okay, well, 36 exposures is more than enough for me. So that being said, I need to focus and use my exposures wisely. So yes, technically, I shoot action photography, but... I am just photographing the moments I am in the water. Okay, so you are a surf photographer. You do surf photography. I guess. I know nothing about surfing, and sometimes it feels nothing about photography. So <laughs> my impression of surf and beach photography is probably the equivalent of David Lee Roth's California oh, Girls gosh. video. I mean, maybe at some beach, yeah, some, some lineup, some places. Okay, great. <laughs> not mine. So it's sh not not yours. Oh. Okay, well, all right, fine. Do you, do you maybe want to start shooting like you were shooting David Lee Roth? No, absolutely not. I think you can see plenty of that on Instagram. Ugh, okay, fine. Yes, you're right. That's bad, <laughs> bad. So okay, are you when you when you when you take pictures? Like I know you go in the water and you do a lot of water things. Yes, water things but are good. You do a lot of water things. So. Okay, so when you are shooting or photographing or shootographing uh, <laughs> surfers uh, surfing, are you like on the shore with like a long ass lens? Are you from a on on a pier looking down? Uh, how how does how does this how does all that work? Well, take me there. Okay, sometimes I do that. Sometimes I shoot from the pier because the perspective is fun and interesting. But when it's big, I put on my swim fins and float around the lineup. Uh, okay, so you 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 get into yeah. it. You don't just okay. So you're out there, yes, yeah. in the water. Okay, okay. yeah. I mean, my so I shoot. I've said you know with a Nikono, so it's a underwater. It's actually like a diving camera, but I shoot it for surfing. Okay, and surf photography. <laughs> but on smaller days, I carry my camera on my back. And I attempt to shoot while I'm surfing. So when I'm paddling back out into the lineup, I kind of like set it up and get it ready. You, you, as you're surfing. Yes. I, like if I caught a wave in when I'm paddling back out, like I will like knee paddle and like bring the camera forward while you're paddling. Yeah. Just because like, you know, Jesus Christ. someone, you know, might catch a wave and. You know, I, I want to catch it on my way back. No, I get it. Is that is that how normal? Is that what is, is, this, is this what surf photography is? Um, I think it's a part of it. I don't think everybody does this, but okay. Um, I mean, obviously, like you know, Leroy Granis, you know, would shoot. 
Sure. <laughs> with I mean, yeah, I mean Leroy Granis does that. No, but, but like, I didn't realize <laughs> that that Vanya Francesca also does this. No, I mean it it's it's very it's a hard skill because not yeah. only do you have to not bang the camera on your surfboard, but you, you know, you're like paddling out in the water and you have to protect your camera and then also be paying attention to what's going on around you. It's easier if you're shooting at a point break where the wave is breaking in one certain area and not everywhere else. You could just paddle out easy. But where I surf, that's not how the waves are. They, it's beach break. So it's constantly breaking all over the place. So it's a little bit more difficult to shoot that way with my surfboard. So I usually just do it when it's really small and it's a little bit more manageable. Uh, my one advantage is that I surf. So sometimes I can tell when someone's going to do something interesting. I just, you know, make sure that I'm prepared. Like I'll, I'll see, you know, there's like particular people that, you know, are a little bit better or whatever. And I'm like, oh, okay, they're going to catch a wave. I'm going to try to like get ready just in case. Sure. It makes sense. You know, the, you know, surfing. And so, you know, when people are going to do cool surf things. Yeah. That's what you guys call it, right? Doing cool surf no, things. No, definitely not. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> Well, there's also, you know, like the parking lot and all parking lots are kind of similar in this way. Just like people hanging out, waiting, you know, for the tide or what, whatnot. Um, you know, people surf cars have always been like a huge fas fascination. People get really creative and organized with their cars and how they are able to stick all their surfboards inside. And, you know, a lot of people have buckets. And so they're really fun. And I like to shoot that. So for the limited few... <laughs> people that got the first issue of my pure sand and water it kind of started from the lot the you know that first zine yeah yeah i remember that yeah so it was like pictures of people sitting in the back of their cars or getting ready to like put their suits on do i want to know what the buckets are for or or no what, what do you think they're for now i'm very interested no they're not for that uh, no okay <laughs> Okay, cool. Cool. No, I mean, All usually right. storing so, like wet wetsuits and things like that, or, you know, people sure. like changing them. Okay. So, <laughs> poop, poop buckets. No! Great. So, what, what drew you, what, what drew you into, uh, shooting film while surfing? Cause that's, I, I mean, I could see GoPros and, and things like that, I guess. I really don't know. I, I don't know much about surfing. Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, I have tried a GoPro a few times and sometimes I'll like stick it on top, but I just, again, it's just, not, I'm not into it. Film photography and surfing are very similar. Weather and light can be very unpredictable. So being able to reproduce a missed moment is almost impossible. Surfing is the same, even though I've been surfing for quite some time. Not every day and every wave are the same. You are constantly having to think ahead of what is next. And that's kind of how these two things I love so much blend together. I could make things a little bit more controlled and consistent with my film choices, but <laughs> that is not my personality. I want to try everything. I recently even tried something very different. I tried that expired um, Forte 100 and I shot yeah. it at 50 ISO. It's for a project that's coming up and I ended up getting some really interesting images. I'm pretty happy with it. Cool. So, okay. So the, the Forte 100 shot at 50, not uh, typical of a uh, of action photography. <laughs> Definitely not. Any kind of action, okay. basically. Okay. Uh, so what do you normally shoot? When I'm shooting surfers, I tend to stick with 
400 ISO. That's my go-to. So it doesn't matter. Uh, obviously, we I've talked about Kentmere before, so I've had a 100-foot roll for a while, so I've been just finishing that up. And then my next one I'm doing is, I think I got FOMA. Ooh. Yeah, so FOMA okay. uh, 400 ISO. That will be my my next 100-foot roll. That's sitting in the fridge waiting. Okay. So you're a surfer. You're a photographer. You're also a diver, so kind of like that that water trifecta. (laughs) How have you incorporated photography into that? This is a little bit of a newer hobby. It's not always clear here in the South Bay, but we have our days, and that's usually when there's no swell in the water. So perfect time to go swim around and try to shoot. I've been trying to work on my breathing, and I've really enjoyed photographing the kelp forest here off the coast. I am completely in love with the way the kelp rises from the ocean floor and creates this whole ecosystem where fish and life thrive. Fun fact about me is that I'm actually a bit of a chicken with deep water, like black water, deep water. So if you can't if you if you can't see the bottom, you kind of freak yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's like you're floating in space. Yeah, and I, you know, if you, look, <laughs> yeah, you're just a tiny little speck, <laughs> and that kind of freaks yeah. me out a little bit understandable i did float 10 miles out in mexico and shot some really cool fish and kelp patties it was fun but honestly being able to see the bottom is kind of a thing for me so shallow coastal diving is definitely what i will stick to so with all that said what are you planning for your next watery adventures? Honestly, better organization that is where i am lacking the most i'm really good with creative ideas and projects, but I'm kind of a mess. So finding a better way to catalog and take notes is kind of what I would like to work on the most, but also getting barreled. <laughs> are you are you going to shoot the whole time? Fuck yeah, I am. <laughs> All right. Are, wait, are we done? I don't think we're done yet. Fanya and I were both into zines from a young age. Back then it was punk rock and Greyhound buses and uh, other punk rock things. And, and now it's film photography and some random punk rock things, I guess. But anyway. We've got three zines this week. We've been getting some zines in, so that's really exciting. Also, we're super willing to trade, so bring them. So the first scene I got today is Crude Zine. Uh, it's a scene I've been actually wanting to pick up for quite a while now. And, and uh, you know, good things come to those who wait. So seeing a photography zine that is uh, more than a photography zine, it, it sort of warms my heart. Crude Zine is just that. It's put together by Louis Escalante and Ludwig Kent. They're uh, at crude.zine on Instagram. According to Louis, uh, it's the culmination of film photos, Swiss typography, and graphic design. The zine is actually kind of huge. It's 52 pages, which is great, just a lot of pages. And it's six and a half by nine and a half inches. It's, it's a big zine. It's full color. It's packed with carefully arranged photos and artful text. I really appreciate text in photo books. This has actually lit a fire under both of our asses, and we're going to be starting work on a new, new project that we don't want to talk about yet, but I mentioned anyway. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's supposed to be secret. Yeah, what have you got? 
It's a secret. secret. What have you got, Vanya? Eric O'Hara sent me a zine, 4x4tography, 12-page, 5.5x8.5, black and white, matte zine. The pages are a mix of some badass older cars, maybe in a junkyard, with various states of decay. You see some nature overtaking the cars, with vines growing out of various places. I love old cars. Some people might see a bunch of rusty old cars, but I see a time where style and steel were everything. Thank you for sending me this zine. I really enjoyed it. His Instagram is at 4x4tography, and we will add his Etsy link to the show notes. It's $5. I'm pretty sure it was 5 bucks, right? It's $5, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got the message when when uh, Eric sent it to us, and I looked at the zine, and I'm like, oh, this is Vanya. <laughs> this is very Vanya. I like guys. Uh, the last scene we got is Urbanism by Jaya Bhatt, and we both got this yeah, one. Yeah, it's so yes. good. This was taken in San Francisco and New York City, and basically it's a wordless zine. You don't need words in this one. No, I think I think not. It focuses on the beauty and the decay of city life. Living, we, Actually, Vanya and I both live in, in West Coast cities, and sometimes the city is just very sad, and this is, I think it's that. Uh, it's it reminds me of nature photography in a way but on the street it's not street photography it's completely devoid of people which is sort of up my alley completely uh but everything shot in it is it's in a city so it's all human constructed so there's nothing in this zine that's that seem that screams like humans don't exist here but humans don't exist in this zine at all yeah it shows how empty our cities and our lives in cities uh really are <laughs> it's it's sad. Uh, worth it. I love it. It's 10 bucks, and you can get it from at Jayabat. That's J-A-Y-A-B-H-A-T on Instagram. Please do. It's a good scene. What's the matter? Okay, that's about all the podcasts we got for you today. But before we go, our question for next episode hopefully will be a little bit clearer. <laughs> it's inspired by <laughs> Eric's huge failure. <laughs> Fuck, I can't say failure. <laughs> Eric's huge failure of Cat Lab's photos. I need a little bit of commiseration here. So get onto Instagram and leave us a voice message telling us about your biggest photography failure. <laughs> and, and more importantly, how the hell you overcame it? Because it's rough. <laughs> Can you do that for me, please? Vanya, do you have any final thoughts for the episode? Do you? Sure. I, I really want like a Jerry Springer moment right now, and I can't think of anything. I'm so sad. Okay, well, if you can't be as eloquent as Springer, Dude. I don't know what I can do for you. What is your final thought, Eric? I know you have... I wanted to say something about the fucking bonkers 120 millimeter thing just doesn't fucking matter if somebody says 120 millimeter rather than 120 film let it go there's a whole world of more important things out there <laughs> get your get yourself a news browser just pick literally any headline any headline at all that is more important than 120 millimeter and yeah i get you can do both but don't just don't let it pass on by because it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, they're wrong for saying it. But out of all of the things in the world that you can be wrong about, why care about this one? You're <laughs> such a man when you're saying 120 millimeters isn't right. Yeah, such a man. Like a manly man? Like a man? Like a, like a mighty, mighty good man. 
What a man, what a man, what a man, what a man. man. (laughs) Okay, I think we're done. Uh, I want to do the out. If you would like to contact us, we're at allthroughalens.podcast on Instagram. By email, it's allthroughalens.podcast at gmail. Check us out on Twitter at allthroughalens. Vanya is at surfmartian. And Eric is at conspiracy.of.cartographers. And speaking of Instagram, make sure to hashtag your stuff all through a lens podcast to be featured. And share us with your unsuspecting friends and enemies. What What could could go go wrong? wrong? You owe me a Coke. We also do a Spotify playlist for each episode, so check those out to see what we're listening to. Just search All Through a Lens. You can also find our episodes on Spotify, as well as on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever the fuck else you find your podcasts. Subscribe and leave a review. The music you're hearing now is from The Last Regiment of Syncopated Drummers, which you can find at lastregiment.com. And thank you all so much for listening to us bitch about stuff for about an hour or so. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Uh, Vanya, you want to go out and shoot? Fuck yeah, I do. Let's go. So sick. (laughs) Okay.